Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. I'm LaToya Johnson, host for the New Books Network, and I have with me writer and editor Landon Jones, who explores how and why fame stems from more social media influence than from heroic altruistic achievements, and what this means for American culture in his new book, Celebrity Nation, How America Evolved into a Culture of Fans and Followers. Jones spent decades in celebrity land as an editor at People Magazine and provides a personal and first-person perspective on fame and its dark underbelly, which has now been complicated further by the birth of the internet and social media. Jones also coined the term baby boomer in his book, Great Expectations, America and the Baby Boom Generation, which was a finalist for the American Book Award in nonfiction. Welcome, Landy, Lanny, and thank you for being here with me. Oh, thank you so much, Latoya. I'm pleased to be here. So you were the managing editor at People Magazine, hence your expertise on the subject of celebrity and fame culture. Can you talk a bit about your professional journey and what led you to write Celebrity Nation? Well, yes. I worked at People when it started, when it launched, and... Um, we didn't even use the word celebrity then. We just talked about movie stars and you know baseball players and writers and politicians. But then what happened was that the celebrity notion started to take over. And so suddenly, for us to continue to succeed, we kept covering more and more celebrities. And then we had imitators, and they did it too. And so I was meeting a lot of celebrities and that was sort of interesting, and I would tell my friends and so on about it. And they'd all say, hey, you know, you should write a book about this. Um, but a, a book that was just celebrity gossip and tales was, was not such a, a great book. <laughs> and so, uh, and I generally liked the celebrities I met, so it wasn't as if I was going to uh, dish on them. But then um, there became a time when uh, one time we had a focus group I was trying to understand what people were interested in reading about. And so, but the focus group moderator used to always ask the focus group participants, who are your heroes? And, um, and they would answer, but then she stopped asking that question. So I said, how come you don't ask the heroes question anymore? And she said, because they can't think of any. And I thought, aha. So there's something there about the rise of celebrity and the demise of heroes that I wanted to, I thought there's something I can write about there. And so I started taking notes and that sort of uh, led to it. And uh, and then I thought in my own interviews, one of them very early on was with Malcolm X of all people. And um, I met him when I, when I was a student and um, he was the complete opposite of what I expected. And what, I mean, I expected him to be a terrorist and to hate me. And, uh, and, and quite the contrary, he, he was an intellectual, he was friendly, he was, he, was, uh, he, was, he was a teacher, and he was trying to teach me in a, in a very nice and uncompromising way. He still had some pretty tough views, but he, but he was uh, such a good guy. And so that was another revelation, which is that you think you know celebrities, but you don't. Uh, and so that was between those two things. I, I started reading 
I got interested. Am I going on too long, Latoria? No, no, because I actually was going to ask you specifically about that interview. <laughs> so I'm glad you're talking about it. Let me just add a few other things about the whole book. So I had my celebrity tales. Then I began to realize I needed to understand the history of celebrity. Where did it come from? What happened 100 years ago or 200 years ago? And I discovered that the first truly famous person who was a human being was Alexander the Great. Why? Because he had his face on a coin. And so he was the first mortal to have his face on a coin. Before him, there were Greek gods on coins. And somehow the, uh, the reverence that people had for Greek gods was transferred to Alexander. And that had something to do with technology, the coin, and his image. And, that, and those ideas of the technology and images suddenly became more clear. And once we had the introduction of the book and people's images in the in illustration in a book, it really took off from there. Right, right. I do want to, I'm so happy that, again, that you mentioned the Malcolm X interview. And I'm going to come back to Alexander the Great because I have a, a question about that too. <laughs> uh, but... And that interview with Malcolm X took place in 1963, correct? Yes. Yes. Was he your first cele he, technical celebrity interview? He was literally the first celebrity I met. And, um, and, I, and, and I was not even a journalist then. But then I thought, you mean I could get paid for talking to a fascinating person? And that's when I decided to become a journalist. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. And... Did that? Did his interview affect how you interacted with celebrities during your tenure at People? Was that a a, a pretty big foundation? Well, I, your... I realized it was underpinning the, all of our attitudes towards celebrities was that we took nothing for granted. We wanted to uh, get to know them as they really were, not as their image. I mean, Malcolm had no control over his image. It was uh, set by the media, and the media decided to portray him as a terrorist. And uh, looking back on it, he, he was assassinated about a year or so later. Uh, he went to Mecca, then he came back, and then he got killed. Um, and so I, I took nothing for granted with celebrities, and so we tried to show them in the real world, I mean, where they lived, who their spouse was, who their kids were, who their parents were, all of that. When I talked to Malcolm, to Malcolm, by the way, he was writing at that time his now famous book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. That's when we really found out about him. And with Alexander the Great and ha having his face on a coin and that being the propelling factor to his fame, do you think there's a correlation between visual, like what we need as, as humans to visually see something and fame? Is there a correlation there? No. Oh, yes. I mean, it is extremely strong. I mean, even when the first books came out with, picture, with f pictures in it, someone like philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau became famous. And then when newspapers started, it helped other people become famous uh, out of the blue. So suddenly Andrew Jackson became a U.S. president. And then later on in the uh, 18th and 19th century, you had uh, uh, an actress named Sarah Bernhardt who became famous because of her images that were simply used in newspapers. Oscar Wilde 
the Buddhist writer, also his image, Mark Twain, all of them were were indelible faces, and uh, and the and then the faces became even stronger and more propelled when we had radio. So what happened with radio and the, and the transatlantic tech cables? That was uh, Charles Lindbergh, who became the most famous person in the world in one day. Then we had Albert Einstein, who became literally also the most famous person in the world in 1919 when he published, uh, well, when they proved his theory of, uh, of general relativity. And so uh, and then you have, you have, it went from radio to, to movies. And then, so more, the fame became more and more extreme. A person I interviewed was Elizabeth Taylor, who was another one who, whose fame rested on movies initially, but then it kind of went on and on, but, and she became a celebrity. Uh, then you had television, another new technology with more, more dramatic images, and that went on too. And so, and then, well, well then reality television, by the way, which started when there was a writer's strike. And why did they start it then? Because they didn't want to pay writers. <laughs> and so the reality television led to 100, 100 reality TV shows. And all of these things had impacts, and that's what the book goes on to discuss, was what was the impact of all of this? And I can go into that later if you'd like to talk about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Could I actually have a, a particular question about that? One of my favorite aspects of the book is the link you create between celebrity and early human admiration of gods and goddesses, specifically in the Greco-Roman mythology. And there is a paragraph where you examine Odysseus, Greta Garbo, and the celebrity tendency towards disguise. Why was it important for you to make that connection? What was the importance of what again? Of making the connection between um, the Greco-Roman mythology and celebrities such as like Greta Garbo. Like there is that that paragraph where you examine Odysseus and Greta Garbo, like in the same paragraph, and their tendency towards disguise. Why was it why was it necessary for you to create that connection? between how ancient humans saw celebrity and fame and how we see it contemporarily. Why was that important? Okay, there was a connection between Greta Garbo and Odysseus and and, on, and all of that. So Greta Garbo, of course, did not want to be, be famous. And when Odysseus had his famous battle with the Cyclops and um, he told the Cyclops that... Um, his name was Nobody. And then the Cyclops, when he's dying, says, Nobody is killing me. And that just seemed seemed ironic. Um, and so people have had this sense of irony about celebrities because they know what how little it really means. And Greta Garbo, of course, went and went and head head from it. And Odysseus claimed he was gonna hide from it. I'm not sure if he succeeded, but he but he did. So um Anyway, yeah, that was just about the origins of of fame and our attitudes towards fame. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, you tell of your first meeting with Elizabeth Taylor. We got to talk about it. We have to talk about it. And your interaction with Princess Diana and meeting them seemed awing in a way to you. After interacting with celebrities in your capacity at People, 
What was it about those two humans specifically that affected you? Was it their fame or did they have something else that attracted you? What was it? I, I think it was really their fame. Um, I was somewhat curious because I knew that they, uh, Princess Diana was the most famous person in the world, woman in the world when I met her. And, uh, but I also knew that she had sort of backed away a little bit and was trying to do good things in the world. And so she had a campaign against landmines that had been left in old battlefields. Um, and she wanted to get rid of them because they were blowing up and killing, killing children. And, uh, and likewise was a, a Elizabeth Taylor. She wound up devoting her life to, to educating people about the HIV virus and AIDS. And, uh, so, and, uh, she did it in the name of her friend, Rock, Rock Hudson, who had it. And she, and she also devoted herself to another cause, a, a larger cause than herself. So it was that combination of enormous celebrity, but also with the celebrity that had an ideal. And it's something I hope for now because we don't seem to have that around as much anymore. It's still there, but it's just not around as much. You write in the book, one way to define celebrity is that you become one when the public is as interested in your private life as your professional role. How does the concept of celebrity look different now than it did in the 70s and 80s? Well, that's good. It's, um, you know, a psychologist would say, well, that's a parasocial relationship, which is sort of a jargon term. But what it means is, is that you think you know someone intimately, and I mean intimately because you know so much about them, who doesn't know you. And so it's a one-way street. All people project um, their interest onto the celebrities, and, and they know so much about them, they can become absorbed in them. But the celebrity doesn't know them. This creates a one-way relationship that is somewhat damaging. First of all, it damages the celebrity themselves because they become narcissistic. You know, psychologists have a phrase for that too, acquired situational narcissism. And they all get it. And we see it every day when we turn on you know, the TV or look on social media. Um, and it damages them psychologically. They, the lifespan of celebrities is 10 to 20 years shorter than, than most people. So it puts them at risk. What are they at risk of? Well, conventional things, drug, drug overdoses, suicide. Uh, that's what happens to them uh, too often. Um, and then it also puts the, um, the fans at risk because they, uh, they leave their communities and focus, and focus on the celebrities. And so it's been proven that, that celebrity worshipers, the more you worship a celebrity, the, the, the less likely you are to vote or to be a member of something in your community. And so that's a, a strange, a strange ta ta uh, trade-off too. And then finally, it, it hurts the world at large, the community, because people just aren't as involved. It's become a world of me rather than a world of we. And uh, I think that is somewhat unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I actually made a note of that you wrote that surveys indicate that people most interested in celebrity 
are least engaged in politics, least likely to protest, least likely to vote, and least likely to use their social networks to involve themselves in public issues. And that's very interesting because we see now politicians and agents of social change using their social media platforms to gain celebrity. Is that a, is it a different concept? Is it, is it not the same to engage with these politicians as opposed to engaging with socio-political or socio-economical issues? Is it not the same? Well, on social media, it seems like we're engaging with their celebrity and their fame. But these are people who don't necessarily have any, any expertise in policy or any experience in social service. And so all we're dealing with is the present tense. You know, the, the noise in our ear is made by, by the politicians, and people accept that to an amazing degree. And so someone like Donald Trump knows that if he can dominate the social media conversations, and he does, um, that's all he needs to do. So policies, public service, you don't hear too much about that. Uh, and actually, that, that is a good way to, to analyze and emphasize it, because that was a really good question of mine. It's like, they're, they have these platforms. Are they using their platforms for what we would anticipate they would? Yeah. For a good cause, you mean? For a good cause, yes. Yeah, some people are. I mean, this woman, I, I, you see it happening a little more often now, and I'm glad for that. There's a young woman named Maria Ressa, who you may know, who's a, a, a defending the First Amendment as a journalist in the Philippines, and she won the Nobel Prize. But she seems deeply focused on, on what she's doing and her accomplishments uh, rather than her celebrity and her fame. And I admire her for that because she's back to her accomplishment and what heroes do as opposed to simply feeding their fame. When you began outlining Celebrity Nation, what did you desire for readers to take from it? Very good question. And it, it became more clear to me as I was working on the book that it was really the damage and the threats that, social, that celebrity is posing to all of us in three different ways. So it was not just funny stories. It was not gossip. It was, uh, it was much more serious than that. And the damage that was being done by the celebrity industrial complex, as I like to call it, um, is, was severe. And, and, and people should be sophisticated and aware of that. I'm sorry to use the word sophisticated. They should, they should simply be aware of that and the, take the celebrities with a grain of salt and look what they really do rather than what they say. That's the takeaway I sort of want. Was there anything you wanted to add to the book that you just couldn't for whatever reason? Do time constraint? It didn't things didn't really align with the thesis. Was there a story that you wanted to tell that didn't really that didn't make it to the book, but that you wanted to? Yes. It's pretty close. I mean, it, there are events that are happening now that uh, I could not get in the book because they just happened. So when you have something like, you know, the British coronation or, or the the Metropolitan Gala, all these, and the White House Correspondents' Dinner, all of these things are continued to be dominated by the presence of celebrities. And if I was writing the book now and finishing, I would add all of those examples of places, public events, where celebrities have somehow weirdly 
you know, taken over the media coverage. And so I would emphasize that more as the as the sort of collaboration between the, the media, you know, the whatever social media, and also the old-fashioned print media, and then and the celebrities themselves, and marketers who who pay people to do this and to to be a social influencer. I would have said a little more about the influencers, but they're in there, and I try I do talk about the the first ones. It's just become so much more extreme. I mean, Elizabeth Taylor was, in a way, an influencer because she was the first famous person to have her own product. And she had uh, Elizabeth Taylor's perfumes. And there was, there was one called Passion. And, but then it seemed sort of odd. Why would she do that? But now, of course, it's normal. Uh, and Kim Kardashian, we don't really know why she's famous, but she's endorsing a lot of products. And, and you mentioned... AI and little Maquella is, is that the yeah. CGI generated influencer? Interesting. That could be where it goes. I hope it doesn't go there. But we have these artificial robot people uh, who look like real people, but and they sound like real people, uh, like like little Michaela. and um, she's on I think Instagram, but it has millions of followers most of whom don't know she's not real. And they think she's a real person, and they, they probably have a parallel relationship with her, parasocial relationship with her, but it's, it's very unreal. Not only does she not know they exist, she doesn't exist themselves, herself. <laughs> <laughs> and I like in the book how you explain her creators. Do you have a particular opinion about the creators of the CGI? Uh, Influence not, generators? Not really. It's, okay. it's, uh, I mean, to me, they're they're techies, and they, you know, they 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 don't see the damage that could ensue, or or if they do, they don't care, and then and plus they're getting rich, and so and so they said uh, the money motive lies behind so much of current modern modern day celebrity, and it, and and it, and in history that was not the case. I don't think Alexander the Great had a money motive to be put on a coin. Uh, and and so Jean-Jacques Rousseau, people like talking, Napoleon, people who became famous, it wasn't for the money. It was for power sometimes. In the case of Napoleon and the charismatic leaders of Toussaint Louverture, people like that. But uh, it was really the political objective they had in mind. Well, Celebrity Nation just published. Its pub day was Tuesday, May 9th. And so it's out. It's out. It's out. It's and it's awesome. I've actually have a lot of tabs going on here because <laughs> I really do loved. I love the research aspect of it too. You can tell that you you're very well versed not only in research but in the world of celebrity and fame. And so it's very interesting to read. And it even made me kind of question my my purpose on social media. Like what what am I doing on social media? Well, what am I? Trying I'm to glad, get from you. No, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you're doing what you are doing, which is to talk about books and ideas, and uh, that's a good cause. So congratulations to you. <laughs> thank you, and I thank you for letting us talk about Celebrity Nation. Uh, Celebrity Nation is out now. You can go pick it up at your bookstores, ladies and gentlemen. Landon Jones. Thank you, Lanny. Thank you so much. Take care, Victoria.